So I want to begin this one by saying thank you to everybody who participated in our Christmas program in the play last week. You invested an incredible amount of time and effort and your thoughts, and it showed through everything that you were able to do and the production you were able to come together to produce. The message that you came together to tell, the message of how God loves us so much that he sent his son to willingly die on the cross and take our place for the punishment that we deserve, all in an effort to reclaim our relationship that we lost with him. It's the most important story that we can tell other people. Now, we have been memorizing a verse in 2 Corinthians together over the past couple of months, and what happens when we finally accept that free gift of salvation from Christ. And it says, and you can say it with me, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Thank you so much. As we are approaching the end of the year, I'm actually planning on finishing the book of 2 Corinthians by the first so that we can actually go on to something new in the new year. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Chapters 8 and 9. Now, this is an incredibly appropriate time of year to be discussing these chapters as they both center around the topic of giving. This is the time of year where giving and receiving are probably constantly on our minds. Most children, and I'm going to say some adults, are completely obsessed with what they will be uh, getting uh, underneath the tree on Christmas morning. Anybody here can't wait to see what they get under the tree on Christmas morning? No? You get, I see some smiles. <laughs> There's an undeniable excitement in the air this time of year when we expectantly await the surprises that await us in a couple of short weeks, because it's running up fast. My wife keeps looking at the calendar. She's like, oh, Lord, it's already now. <laughs> it's just, it's going so fast. That seems the way life goes. But there's another side to receiving, and that is the aspect of giving. And in fact, many argue would get, say, when many would argue and say that giving is better and more important than receiving. Sure, there is a great joy in opening a present that you have been long hoping for, but there's a different kind of joy when we have an expectation of a gift that we have sought out for. When we have studied a person, their wants and their needs, and we've looked for just the perfect gift. We've looked high, we've looked low, we've looked all around Amazon and eBay, and we've even gone to a couple of different stores. I mean, when you really put the time and effort into a gift, the joy that you see on that person's face when they finally open it, there's nothing quite like it. Now, today's sermon is titled, The Joy of the Giver. The Joy of the Giver. We're going to be covering three different points. We're going to be covering three different points. We're going to be looking at heart and hands, heart and hands. Then we're going to be looking at our example, why we give in the first place. And then finally, the cheerful giver. We're actually going to be looking at that verse as it's in one of our chapters. So the first point we're going to be looking at today is heart and hands. Now, often in churches, often in churches, when we hear sermons on giving, we might automatically come to mind is that the church wants some money. You've probably heard it before. You've probably thought it once or twice. It's undeniable that any organization needs money to stay in existence. But thankfully, this church has been blessed by many who are willing to both give above and beyond and to continue this ministry onwards. So in our chapter today, Paul actually calls our attention as he starts chapter 8. Let's look at the first two verses of chapter 8 together. First two verses of chapter 8. We're going to look at 1 and 2. 
He says, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches in Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Okay, so if you're unsure of where all of this is happening, you will probably notice, I think it'll be easier if I actually just draw on the screen. So here you go. Down here, you're going to find Corinth. Uh, you can see Corinth there as I've put the arrow. And where he is talking about the churches in Macedonia are actually all the way up top. So he's actually going to be talking all the way up there, Berea, Thessalonica, Thessalonica and Philippi, all the way there at the top. So if you see those, those are the churches he's going to be talking about. Now, uh, he's referencing the churches of Berea, Thessalonica, and Philippi, all churches north of Cor uh, Corinth. They're located in the area of Macedonia, as he said. Apparently, from Paul's writings, the churches in Macedonia have been having a lot of struggles. We don't actually know all of them. We do know that persecution arose in the Roman Empire fairly quickly against Christians. Partly, the Roman Empire was against the Christians because they misunderstood some verses about communion, and they thought Christians were cannibals. And so they, they had this big misunderstanding. On the other side, the Jews thought that the, those who were getting converted to Christianity were becoming pagans and that they were leaving the one God for some pagan religion. So they were receiving persecution on both sides from both the Jews and the Roman government as well. Paul also may have partly been thinking of another episode that happened in Acts chapter 18, verse 17. I'll actually pop that one on the screen. He says, this is a, a recall, then all the Greeks took Sussenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him before the judgment seat. But Galileo took no notice of these things. So this is back, it happened a little while ago. In this particular case, the, the leader of the synagogue had actually converted to Christianity. He had converted to Christianity. Um, and the... Um, He'd been beaten, and the law of the land did nothing to stop it. They, they took absolutely no notice. The Jews kind of took action in their own hands, and the government who should have stepped in and said something was like, yeah, we don't really care about this one. Let's just let this one go. Regardless of why the persecution came, we know that it happened. We have several different evidence of it. It wasn't only the outside forces that were oppressing these churches, but apparently these churches weren't very wealthy either. Now, the city of Corinth, as you noticed before, was actually a port city, as we've talked about. It was actually in a beautiful port area, and they had a lot of wealth coming in back and forth between the area. It was actually slightly different than the other churches that were up in Macedonia. While they were near the coast, their financial state was completely different. Their financial status was what we'd call a lower status in different income brackets. Paul says that despite this vast difference between the churches, the ones that were considered poor had actually given, in his words, more liberally. They, they'd given actually a whole bunch more. In essence, what he's saying is the churches, though under great persecution, being financially poor as well, they gave as though they had abundance, as if they were rich. Now, the question that I have to ask is why? Why would those who are poor and oppressed give more than those who are neither? Why would those who are poor and oppressed give more than those who are neither? Now, the answer is found in both the joy of the gospel and in their faith in God. To give when you don't have anything to give requires one of two things, either deep ignorance or deep faith. You gotta have one or the other, deep ignorance or deep faith. The point is that these people had given what was clearly beyond their comfortable means. They, they, they couldn't, it was outside of their normal parameters to be able to give. 
So this raises a deep divide within Christian circles as there have been two different areas of thoughts, two camps, as it were, that have risen in Christian circles. So there's two schools of thoughts. Number one, we are to be a wise steward and plan ahead. You've probably thought of this. You may be even in this camp. The other camp is that we are to faithfully give no matter the cost. We are to give no matter the cost. Now, the first one actually comes from a quote, and I'm gonna back both of these camps up by scripture, both directly from Jesus. So the first one comes from one thing that Jesus says, this is him talking in Luke 14, 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Jesus is speaking, he said, hey, count the cost before you go into something in case you look like a fool and you can't finish it. But on the other hand, in the other camp, Jesus is observing the giving habits of men and women in the synagogue. On the other camp, he's observing men and women in the synagogue. He tells his disciples, while it looks like the rich men are giving, and it looks like they're giving a lot, in fact, as they're looking at what's happening with the synagogue giving plates, they actually didn't give much. In fact, there's a widow that he notices that gives more, and he talks about her to his disciples. So this is the other camp. And it says, for they put in out of their abundance, the rich men, looked like they got in a lot. But she, out of her poverty, had put in all she had, her whole livelihood. So you have two camps. One, you got a plan, and then this lady clearly put everything, her entire livelihood out. It seems like we have a contradiction in Scripture. At first glance, it feels like a contradiction in Scripture. One centers on planning, and then the other being a good steward, uh, planning and being a good steward, and then the other centers on faith. So which is the correct view? Should we plan ahead for absolutely everything, or should we just randomly give in faith whenever God calls? Well, we're going to look at both of these today. Now, in the one camp, uh, with the planning camp, you often have the mindset that says, I have worked hard for what I have. I have planned. I have saved. On the other hand, we have those who live paycheck to paycheck thinking, I can give when I can, and I give what I can when I can. So you have two different schools of thoughts. Now, In many ways, this seeming contradiction actually comes back to faith and works argument, the faith and works argument, which you've probably heard before in Scripture. And it's here where I think we can actually find our answer for this one. In the book of James, uh, James is bringing up the discretion in the church where the rich people are being treated differently than the poor people. And he's talking about this, this treating people differently because of the way that they look and the way that they act. Uh, And I think his argument actually helps us get a better understanding. So if you can actually hold your finger here and turn in your Bibles to the book of James chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 14 through 18. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Give you just a second to find your place. James is after the book of Hebrews. If you go too far, you'll fall all the way into the maps. Okay, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith, but he does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Here, James kind of lays it all on the line and he says that what we do and what we believe are related to one another. What we do and what we believe are related to one another. 
Now, he says that what you do alone doesn't prove your character or your intentions. Your actions alone don't prove your character and your intentions. But that if you say that you have faith, it can be proved. It is proved by what you do. So it's a pendulum swinging back and forth. They go hand in hand. Now, at the end of the day, the answer to which is a better method of giving, the either is that neither is better than the other. Neither is better than the other. Like faith and works, they go hand in hand. You see, your giving, whether it's financially or otherwise, is a reflection of two things. Your ability and your faith. Your ability and your faith. Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 8 by saying in verse 3 these words. He says these words. For I bear witness that according to their ability, and yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing. So he's still talking about the giving of the people in Macedonia. He says that he bears witnesses that these churches had balanced their ability and their faith. They had balanced their ability and their faith, and that they didn't have a lot of ability, but they had a big faith. So this is actually going to bring us to our second point today, our example. So we're talking about giving, but why do we speak so much about giving? As you are well aware, giving is so much more than financial. We, we tend to get pigeonholed and think that it's about financial, but it's so much more. Last week, I, I watched families give one of the biggest things that they cannot get back. They gave time. We can't get time back. They gave of the time that they could have been at home connecting with one, one or another. They could have been connecting with their relatives. They gave of the time that they could have been at work. They gave of the time that they could have been attending a sports game of a loved one. And why? Because they prioritized coming together and telling other people the gospel of Jesus Christ. They gave because they wanted to give the gospel. They spent countless hours last week memorizing lines, participating in parts. They spent midweek evening uh, and most of Saturday all working for this one goal together, for this play. They came here Saturday and they practiced. In all reality, the first time we practiced the playthrough, um, I don't know if you were there, but it did not go well. But that's the way the first time always goes. But they kept at it. And you saw the end result on Sunday. And it came together very, very well, all because of their effort and their willingness to give of their time. Now, what they produced gave the message of Jesus Christ. Paul, too, points to an example of giving back to Jesus. So you can pick up your reading with me in verse 9, chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 9. I'll have this one on the screen. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So the God of the universe, the maker of everything you see, the one the scripture says, by whom and for whom all things were made, We owe our physical existence to. Did you ever notice that the author, okay, I'm gonna go on a a rabbit trail for just a second. You ever notice that the author, John, calls him the word? He's the word. And I I love the idea here because he comes and he tells everybody, he uses his words to tell the the truth of the gospel. But have you ever looked back in scripture all the way back to Genesis uh, and the formation of the creation account? God's creating absolutely everything. And what thing is described, what um, action is described in the way that he creates everything. He speaks it forth. He uses words. And so Jesus is the word as God's spoken word through creation of absolutely everything. And I just love the way that that ties together. Though rich, owning everything, as he created it, he owns it. Though he had more resources than we can ever even imagine, 
What does our author and our text tell us that he did? He became poor. Mary and Joseph were on the run for the first couple of years of Jesus' life. They lived in hiding in Egypt because they were fearing that Herod was going to come down on them and try to kill Jesus. When they finally got back home, they were still social outcasts because it looked like they had a child out of wedlock. So they were still social outcasts when they came back home. The king of kings allowed himself, now think about this, he chose willingly to be born in very humble circumstances. He chose knowingly. So I didn't get to choose where I was born. You didn't either. We didn't get to choose where we were born. We didn't get to choose when we were born, to what family we would be born in, and what financial circumstances. Jesus did. And he chose purposefully to be chosen to go to humble circumstances. Through poverty you might become rich. Through his poverty, you might become rich. Continuing on with his statement and urging the Corinthians not to give in, uh, to give up what they had first started, he reminds them again uh, in verse 12, he says this through the example of Jesus Christ in verse 12, for if there is a first and willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not not according to what one does not have. So here he comes back again to the idea that we first have to have faith. And we have to have a willing mind that our giving, whether it's our finances, it's our time, it's our possessions, whatever it may be, that our giving must come from accepting of what we do have and not a focus on what we don't have. Your giving has to come from accepting what you do have, not focusing on what you don't have. Too often I find myself limiting my own potential on focusing on what I don't have. And I don't know about you, uh, but for me, I, I do a lot of focusing on what I don't have and what I wish I had instead of what I do have. Now, we are to be examples uh, ourselves according to the example of Christ as the scriptures direct us. We have to stop focusing on what we do not have. Now, how often have you found yourself saying, I would, but... I would volunteer, but I really just don't have the time. I would step up, but I'm really not a great speaker. I would give more if I had more. Have you ever found yourself saying that? A while back, I was learning a bit about finances, and there was a man who gave some advice that I'm never going to forget. It was actually very good advice. I love it, um, and I've put it into practice. He said, the majority of Christians give in a reactionary way. We tend to have a gut punch reaction. So, so uh, a disaster strikes, okay? So I'm going to use the real world example, the tornadoes happened. A lot of people are going to, at the last second, give a lot of money to rebuilding those communities. And that's not a bad thing, but typically most of our giving comes through a reaction and not a proactive approach. Now, this can be good and, exam- uh, and helpful, giving in a reactionary way, but there is a way that can actually help us even more. Instead of being reactive, we need to become proactive. And proactive giver is a planner, someone who plans ahead. Now, they set aside both time and money purposefully so that it can give to others. So you set aside money and time purposefully so you actually have an allotment. You know, you know exactly what you can do at the beginning of the month and you set it aside so it can be given. Now, the idea is that Jesus actually planned to give. Jesus actually planned his gift ahead of time, which is interesting. His sacrifice wasn't some gut punch reaction. He didn't at the last second say, oh, they're in a really bad spot. They're really going to need some help. I should probably do something about it. He planned on it. In fact, we know from Scripture for thousands of years, God was setting everything up and orchestrating everything so that the gift would be perfectly timed. 
So he planned on his gift for a very long time. He gave the best gift ever. Anyone here willing to admit that they are unusually good at spending money? I, I am unusually good at spending money. I know if money is in my pocket, it burns a hole and it is gone as fast as it can. And typically what happens if I don't have a plan, maybe you're like me, if I don't have a plan, my money gets spent on trivial things. Just like I've got trinkets, I've got stuff around my house. I'm like, it was only $5, but now it's, I don't even know why it even is. I, that's the way my life tends to go. Now, when it's not purposed, it gets spent on trivial things. But when you set aside, when you purpose to give, what happens is change in your mindset and in your actions. What happens is a change. You see, you start looking for ways to give. When you have money set aside, and Alicia and I have found this in our own lives, when we have said we are going to give X amount, and we have it just sitting there at our house in our finances, we start looking, okay, how can we give this? How can we give this? And it becomes a proactive approach on how can we invest into others because we already know what we're going to do from the head, from the start. Instead of being willing just to give the time that we need, we should be willing, and don't get me wrong, okay? We should be willing to give in a reactionary way. If the spirit leads, all of a sudden we just, we need to be able to give, okay? So I'm going to say there's a balance here as I'm saying the entire message. But when you have the ability and you have it saved up and you have it purposed and you find about it, you can now say, okay, I can, I can do that. And it, it changes your world and your entire mindset and giving in every single way. You start looking for ways to spend money. You start looking for ways. You look and you notice the little things. You start seeing when other people are struggling. You start getting involved in other people's lives because you have this ability and you know you have this ability. So you purposely say, hey, I could help out there. And it's amazing the way that that changes us. Now, I'm going to talk about the cheerful giver as the final point today. Paul recognized the idea of how preparing ahead, preparing ahead of time actually changes our attitudes. In chapter 9, he's going to say in verse 5 these words. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time. So he's saying, hey, look, the guys that I travel with, I'm sending them up to you ahead of time. And to prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised. So what apparently what has happened is the Corinthian church said, hey, we'd love to be able to give to your ministry. And Paul's like, that is, that is great. I'm so glad that you are willing. I'm sending my guys up there to be able to get that gift. And what he's saying here, follow this, what you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not a grudging obligation. They had promised to give, and what he's saying is they have great intentions. Have you ever promised and had great intentions, but then had horrible follow-up and follow-through? And this is what Paul is trying to help them avoid. This time of year, we have a focus on giving. Uh, everybody is asking for something. There's always a great organization to give to. You've probably gotten a couple of phone calls from people that are saying, hey, you know, would you like to give to... Uh, you have a man standing at the door of the store ringing a bell. There are different organizations, all good organizations, asking for you to give. Paul is saying that they are better off when they prepare ahead of time. Yes, allow room for spontaneous giving, absolutely. But if you're prepared, you're going to be a much happier giver. And that's what Paul is saying, is if you were prepared, you'll end up giving more happily. In fact, probably one of the most dreaded lines in church history is found in this chapter. One of the most dreaded lines. You've probably heard it before. Check out verse 7 with me. Chapter 8, verse 7. It says, for God loves, what? A cheerful giver. 
The church needs volunteers. God loves a cheerful giver. The church needs someone in children's ministry. God loves a cheerful giver. The church <clears throat> needs people in the play. God loves a cheerful giver. The church needs more money in the building fund, and you can continue that line all day long. Now, unfortunately, I think the church uh, has, as a whole has kind of abused this line. In fact, unfortunately, it's, in some ways, it's actually taken out of context. Because we look at this and we say, okay, yeah, God does love a giver. That, that's, a, that's a good thing. But if we look at the whole verse and the idea of what we've been reading and talking about, I think you'll actually understand this verse in a completely different context. This is the whole verse. It says, so let each one give as he purposes, not in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. What does this verse actually say? that we should give as we each have what? Purposed in our own hearts. In the military, we had a saying that nobody volunteers. Nobody volunteers in the military. You were either told or you were voluntold. Anybody ever heard the, uh, the word voluntold before? Anybody like being voluntold? No, nobody likes being voluntold. We do that to our kids. You know, something is up in the church or something like that. Oh, this needs done? Okay, Betty or Dan, they can go do it. You, you tell your kids, you've been voluntold. Nobody likes being voluntold. Nobody likes to have their arm twisted to go and do something. That's, you never have the joy. And that's actually what he's talking about here. God loves a cheerful giver, but someone, if they have to be coerced into giving, they're not a cheerful giver. If you've ever been coerced into giving and you're just like, yeah, fine, I'll just here just to get you off my back, you're not giving cheerfully. If you've been guilt-tripped into volunteering, it's not volunteering. And that the point of this passage is that if we purpose ahead of time, like Jesus, our giving becomes something that we gladly do. Our giving becomes something we gladly do, something that we actually look forward to. Our giving is a balance of both our ability and our faith. Now, there are going to be times that giving's going to have to be spontaneous, and that's okay. There's going to be times that you can give a lot, and sometimes where you just can't give nearly as much as you want to. And God knows what you can and cannot do, and that's, that's fine. Other people don't have to know your circumstances or where you're at. We give because Jesus gave first. He planned for centuries his gift. He planned ahead. And after planning a gift and watching someone open, I know the feeling but can you imagine for just a second how Jesus feels when we accept the free gift that he gave? If you've ever planned for a gift and you, and you watch someone open it, the joy on their face, have you ever imagined what Jesus, what joy comes across his face when we gladly receive the gift of salvation that he has given, the one that he has thought of and planned for? So I'm gonna close this sermon in the typical fashion. I'm gonna ask you guys two questions. My two questions today are, when asked to give, typically, what attitude do you give from? When asked to give, what typically, what attitude do you give from? Is it out of obligation? Uh, I have definitely given out of obligation. I don't know about you guys. Do you feel like you have to? Or is it out of joy? Do you give out of joy? Is it something that you genuinely enjoy doing? Second question. This is the, uh, the deeper question. Do you give what God is asking you to? Do you give what God is asking to you? Now, this isn't just about money. Don't get me wrong here. It's about all areas of giving. And this also isn't a guilt trip. I've just spent the last 20 or so minutes speaking against giving when your arm's being twisted. So I don't want to contradict myself here in the last 10 seconds of the message. You may not feel like, you may feel like you don't have enough time or resources to do everything that you want to do. 
And the simple truth is you never will have everything you wish that you had to be able to give to others. You only have what God has given you for the task that he's assigned you for. So the question is, what does he want? Giving is a balance of two things, its ability and its faith. Its ability and its faith. God knows your ability. God knows where you're at, what you can do, what you can't do with your time, your money, everything. The question is, are you following him in faith when he asks? Are you following him in faith? So let's close in prayer. Father, I do thank you for today. I thank you that you set an example for us in giving. Lord, you prepared for, for since the beginning of time to come and redeem us. And I know that it brings a joyous smile to your face when we accept that gift. And Lord, help us to be a people who are joyful givers. Lord, help us not to be coerced. Help us not to have our arms twisted. Help us to know how to represent you well wherever we go and whatever we do. I thank you for the gift that you have given us. And Lord, as we are giving and receiving so many things this season, help them to each remind us of the things that you have given us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.